have developed speed, but we have shut ourselves in. Machinery that gives abundance has left us in want. We think too much and feel too little. More than machinery, we need humanity. We know the air is unfit to breathe and our food is unfit to eat. As if that's the way it's supposed to be. We know things are bad, worse than bad. They're crazy. Good morning. Good morning. It is Rally Rats. I am Jason Burmis. Yet another jam-packed show for you today. I don't cover a lot of fluff, right? This is usually 90 plus percent important stuff, almost no fluff, right? As they say with uh, the Sum 41 album back in the day, all killer, no filler, right? And, and I try to do that. I try to stuff in a, as many source material videos and documents that you can go check out yourself, right? When we're talking about the United Nations and this takeover of everything, everything through ESG and now this transformative movement on your children, we show you the documents. We play you the clips. So I came across this yesterday. Okay, there's two big stories in the first hour that that we're going to get into involving the entertainment industry, Hollyweird, assassinations, the abuse of children, and gruesome murders. Now, uh, th this one's almost like true crime, except for the fact that it's seems to be the norm in Hollyweird that when you hit a certain echelon, you're just allowed to abuse people, including children, do the darkest of the dark to them, and that is unacceptable. And I'm referring to the Menendez case as well. So Woody Harrelson, the CIA, Matthew McConaughey, JFK, Menudo, Ricky Martin, okay, and the Menendez brothers. And a lot of people forget the Menendez murders, but being how old I am, okay, I, it was one of those really first cases where I didn't know why something was on the TV all the time, being talked about all the time, but that was one of those things, that these two really rich kids had brutally murdered their parents, uh, and they claimed they were abused 
But that angle was played down and the brutal murder was super played up. Okay. And how it, looking back on it, it's hard to judge because I was viewing it uh, through the lens basically of like a, a tween. I think that that happens right around the time I'm 11, 12 years old. But I did a video on that several years ago. Okay. We're going to actually play that again. Tomorrow's news today, forget about it. We're, we're sometimes years ahead of what the mainstream media is going to cover. And we're going to play this video um, from about three and a half, almost four years ago now. Okay, back back in the Dizze, a much younger Burmese, where we're talking about Menudo, Menendez, the abuse of children in the entertainment industry, especially in the boy band industry, especially when we're talking about Disney and Nickelodeon kids. Facts, not fiction. But first, I couldn't resist. Now, <laughs> thumbs it up, subscribe and share, get those thumbs up. Come on. We need them up. We need the participation. We need comments in the comment section, not just the live. Woody Harrelson confirms Matthew McConaughey's wild revelation. They may be biological brothers and calls for DNA tests. Now, I thought this couldn't be real. This could not be real, right? This has got to be a prank that they're playing. And then I remembered after reading the article, and we're going to play the clip, but we're going to play it in the little box, try not to get a copyright strike and have Colbert come after me. And you'll have to decide whether or not you think they're playing a prank. I personally don't think they're playing a prank. This, in my opinion, would further the idea that Woody Harrelson's dad was, in fact, a contract killer for the Central Intelligence Agency. That's the claim. And I was unaware of that clip. We're going to play Woody Harrelson talking about that as well. But then after I played that, I looked in the comments section and people were claiming that Harrelson had said he was involved in the JFK murder. And I was like, I had no idea about this. This was something that was kind of over my head. And, and we actually have a clip from what I think is uh, The Men Who Killed Kennedy, the first huge documentary series to really like pick apart the Warren Commission and show the other possibilities, et cetera. And sure enough, uh, there's a clip showing who is allegedly Harrelson. And I've got also a clip of him in jail talking to a news reporter about it. So wild well i mean let's let's just assume that this might be true in the very beginning just to come up in hollywood's not easy guys and it's certainly look don't get me get wrong woody harrelson you know back in the day you know younger good looking guy charismatic etc but to become that level of star in the entertainment industry like woody harrelson has now been a movie star and a lead for three decades, much more, you know, low key than a, a Tom Cruise, et cetera. And much, it's much more politically active too. So, and don't get me wrong. A lot of his causes have been environmental, but as you know, dude stepped the mother truck up recently on SNL. Right. So Woody Harrelson's one of those guys that, You've got to at least say, hey, he's a truth teller. He's trying to tell his truth whether or not he's right all the time. That's and to, and to me, if you're honest with yourself, right, 
I mean, you got to take some time to look at the information. You got to look at your uh, legitimate detractors. And and if you watched the uh, second hour yesterday with Kennedy, by the way, this there, there's 45 more minutes in that speech. That's what the second hour is going to be. And if you did come over or just listen over at Podbean, you got to understand it's just not YouTube accessible. It's just not. It's not YouTube accessible. I, I wish it were. I, I saw some people say it. I'm promoting self-censorship. No, I'm I'm doing the opposite. I'm telling you there's another avenue. You can come over, redvoicemedia.com slash Jason, redvoicemedia.com slash uncensored, okay? And then you can come over and check it out. You can wait two weeks, I guess, and, it, and it's free. Or you can just go listen live. We, may, we make it free on purpose, uh, at, at least accessible at the time when, when it's fresh and relevant because I want people to see this stuff. But I also want to remind people that we're about to watch a video that's three plus years old, right? So a lot of the things we cover here, because we're not the day-to-day shenanigan show. Oh, he said this, the, the back and forth bullshit you see on every other show, right? Yesterday's show, where we sat there and we talked about sustainability and the United Nations and the technocracy movement. That that show lasts for how long? The 9-11 show this week. How long? They're relevant every day. Okay. And I, and I think, especially even with this one, it's, it's going to be relevant if, in fact, it turns out now that we have even more mainstream confirmation that the Central Intelligence Agency was involved in the assassination of Kennedy. Okay. And, and look, that's that's gotta be um. I, I think an imperative for the Trump audience out there that if you're going to get behind Donald again, you have to look at him and say, hey, you promised us the JFK documents the first time. We were really supposed to get them, really supposed to get them even before you got in a couple times over. Are you going to release all of the documents, no matter how dark they are? And he's got to say yes and he's got to mean it. But guess what? Right now, I got to tell you guys, I'm on that RFK Jr. train. I know some people think his voice is grating. Obviously, the man can't help it. Um, I think it was throat cancer, if I'm not mistaken, um, that did that to him. I could be incorrect about that, but I believe that, you know, that's why he speaks like that. Look, if you watch, again, this is why the, the second hour is important. If you watch the second hour, just the first 10 minutes of his speech, talking about real environmental issues, real mercury pollution, how that mercury pollution led to activist women who wanted to show him information regarding autism and their children, I'll leave it at that, that led him on the journey that would eventually lead him on the journey to be the only person right now running for president, only person, not DeSantis, not Donnie T, guys, to say the Schatzinghausens were DOD DARPA run and they just slapped their labels on them. And it, uh, these are the brute, brute force facts, okay? So second hour is going to be really interesting when we get into it. Uh, let's, I mean, look. The, the CIA Woody JFK thing seems kind of lighter than what we do, but it's, it's also extremely dark. I guess I guess there is no 
uh, super light material, just Jason Burmis in an almost handsome shirt, right? That's about as light as it gets. And by the way, if my brother happens to be watching or watching on the replay, he must have got me this shirt maybe 15 years ago now, Adam, for Christmas. I think that's what this was. So uh, let's play Woody Harrelson talking about how there's a possibility that he, in fact, um, could be the brother of McConaughey. McConaughey's story coming up in Hollywood's even crazier. Found in a bar to do Dazed and Confused while he was hanging out in Austin. He was like a bar star. Okay, so let's scroll it down. And there they are together, side by side. Tell you what, man, those that nose, other than Woody's being a little crooked and broken at an angle, very much there. The eye squint, very much there. I'm, I'm, I'm saying it's a possibility. Even the chin, although his chin's wider, they both got that flat chin. When you see this guy, I guess, again, you're going to have to make your own decisions. We, we talked to Momac, uh, Matthew's legitimate mother, and uh, she let us know <laughs> one time. We, we were actually, <laughs> I mean, this is, a, it's crazy. Sure. We were in Greece. We were watching the, uh, uh, you know, the U.S. team win the World Cup. And, uh, you know, I don't know, I mentioned something about regrets. And I said, you know, it's odd that my father has no regrets. And, and I've known Momak a long time, you know, and she's, she goes, I knew your father. <laughs> and it was the ellipses I found a little troubling. The pause. Or interesting. The pause. Yeah. That I knew how would your you father. How would you describe that pause as, as a... Filled with innuendo. So, <laughs> again, he goes on to state that essentially McConaughey's uh, supposed father and the mother were broken up, according to the story. And look, if his dad was like a slick CIA spy guy, very possible, they're going to get a DNA test. All right. He goes... The year of Matthew's birth, nine months before, she was on a sabbatical from her relationship with his supposed father, Jim. So, very possible. Now, here uh, we're going to jump to Woody Harrelson uh, talking to Barbara Walters, okay? And in this clip, he talks about him being trained by the Central Intelligence Agency. It said fairly well known if anybody's read anything about you or talked with you that when you were seven years old your father went off to prison convicted of murder tell me how you feel today what the story is today well he is in prison right now for the, the killing of a federal judge um, I think that it was not a fair uh, trial especially because the guy who supposedly hired my father to commit the murder was uh, later acquitted on a retrial. Woody, do you think your father is innocent of that second murder? That's what I've heard. I'm not saying my father's a saint, but I think he's innocent of that, yeah. Are you trying to have the case opened up, trying to have it investigated, trying to set him free? Well, uh, let's put it this way. I haven't given up hope. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You said once that you thought that your father was a CIA operative. Yes? Yeah, he was. How do you know? What proof? 
Uh, see, I shouldn't get into this right now. Okay. This is where we're going to get into trouble. Uh, but this is something that you feel and that you're trying to work on? Oh, I know it's true, but, uh, you know. Does it make a difference? That he was trained by the CIA? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it makes a difference. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think it makes a difference. So I'll just start playing this because it doesn't have any sound. And I'll just talk over it. What you're about to see is a clip of Harrelson's dad later in life. And uh, this clip, uh, you know, basically has him uh, saying, you'd be naive to think the Central Intelligence. You said you'd kill President Kennedy. At the same time I said I had killed the judge, I said I had killed Kennedy. Well, do you believe Lee Harvey Oswald killed President Kennedy? We'll get back to that. Look at that nose, man. <laughs> I mean, I mean, take take a look. Like, this, and he's got like the full head of McConaughey hair, where maybe Woody's mom would have had the recessive gene. Just saying, Holly, weird man. Alone, without any aid from a rogue um, agency of the U.S. government, or at least a, a portion of that agency. I believe you're very naive if you do. I believe you're very naive if you do. So next up, next up, we got Woody. Uh, not Woody. Um, we got the men who killed Kennedy, the boxcar tramps. And a lot of people have talked about the boxcar tramps. And uh, what is it? Ethan, uh, not, not it, it's Hunt. Is it Ethan Hunt? Come on, Burmese Brigade. Give it to me in the uh, E. Howard Hunt. There we go. See, I'm getting old. I'm getting old. An old man. E. Howard Hunt um, supposedly is the one that ran that team as part of it. And uh, I'll just, I'll play the clip. You know, this is about a four minute clip and I'll get out of the way. How's that? In the confusion following the assassination, the police arrested a dozen suspects in and around Dealey Plaza. All were later released. Three of those taken into custody were discovered in the marshalling yards close to the book depository, hiding in a railroad boxcar which was about to leave the area. No official record exists of who they were or what they were doing, yet their arrest was widely photographed by the press. They have become known as the Three Tramps. It was determined in uh, late 1970s and early 1980s that one of the three tramps, the taller of the, of the three, bore a striking resemblance to a man by the name of Charles V. Harrelson, who was convicted of killing a federal judge in San, San Antonio, Texas. A man who uh, claims to have killed at least five people previously, has been tried for some of those, and a man who has all of the right connections. Charles Harrelson is one of America's most notorious criminals is currently serving a life sentence for murder in a maximum security jail. On November 22nd, 1963, I was with a friend at 12.30 in the afternoon having lunch in a restaurant in Houston, Texas. It wouldn't be the first time I've been accused of being somewhere I wasn't, and I probably won't be the last. But no, I, I did not kill John Kennedy. He, uh, he's connected to organized crime figures, the Dallas Underworld, uh, Santos Traficani, uh, Carlos Marcello, um, R.D. Matthews, considered the strong-arm man in Dallas in 1963, and Ruby claimed that he was his best friend. So uh, you have all of these connections 
And uh, though they don't say specifically, hey, Charles Harrelson is guilty of participating in the murder of the President Kennedy, but there is significant evidence that would make, I think, any investigator want to look at Mr. Harrelson very, very closely. Um, that is a photograph of one of three so-called tramps uh, who were apprehended and then mysteriously disappeared on the day of the Kennedy assassination. And uh, the fellow was, I'm told, at one time positively, positively identified as myself, uh, which is ludicrous if you look at the man. Um, I was 25 the day Kennedy was assassinated, and I would say that gentleman is probably in his mid to late 30s at the very least. But uh, the facial structures um, isn't even close. Mr. Howison's photograph was given along with the tall tramp photographs to forensic anthropologists, two independent uh, bodies or people. And uh, they came back with a report that there was a 90 to 95 percent probability that the photograph of the tall tramp arrested in connection with the president's killing and Charles V. Harrelson arrested for the death of a federal judge were one and the same. Now that's amazing, isn't it? I would say the, um, that is closer, much closer, but, uh, I'm sure that uh, here again, the person is probably in his 30s, and the brow ridge isn't isn't the same here, but it is it does look very it looks a lot more like me, I would say this view than does the other. Are they the same person? Yeah. Big burn. Yes. Amazing, but uh, no, I I don't know the gentleman, and uh, never did know. Everyone who was involved in that thing has been eliminated. Had I been involved in it, I would have been killed. Had I been approached to be involved in it, I would have laughed. Because it's obviously a case of emulation. You're going to destroy yourself by doing something like that. Because the agency involved in carrying out this assassination cannot have someone with first-hand information regarding the assassination. No way. The country would destruct. The country would destruct. Really looks like Woody right there in that frame, doesn't he? Really got that Woody crooked nose look. So again, who knows? I mean, that's about as fluff as it gets over here at the Burmese Brigade, really. Um, in my, in my opinion, pretty interesting stuff. Pretty interesting stuff. So I want to jump to this uh, story, and then we're going to go back in time. We're going to go back in time. A little Huey Lewis in the news, huh? That's right. Former Menudo member says he was raped by father of the Menendez brothers. Eric and Lyle Menendez were convicted of the 1989 murder of their parents, Jose and Mary Louise Kitty Menendez, in 1996. So I guess at that time I was a teenager by the conviction, but I guess the murder itself um, had been in the news, you know, since I was 10 years old. So it, 
I don't remember, man, that's so crazy. It took six years. I don't remember that. Um, again, it was, just, you know, it was pretty brutal. Uh, and they were 21 and 18. I think that they went, I think I cover it in the video we're about to watch. Um, I think that they went to a Nick game right afterwards. And they're actually in like, uh, is it Mark Jackson? Maybe the Mark Jackson card. So they're sitting courtside at this basketball game. All right. And basically they were saying that they were being sexually abused and the, and the parent, and obviously the mother knew it and they weren't going to stop it. And they just snapped and they killed them. A lot of people dismissed that. Well, you know, now we got more people saying the same thing. And I just want to point out that if you type in Menudo Menendez, this is the result. All of a sudden, there's two days ago, there's a whole documentary on this now, right? The Boys Betrayed, Peacock Original. Like, you're getting cooking recipes or just Menudo videos. You're getting Paul Simon and DNA tests. Now, you literally have to type in Menudo, Menendez, and Burmis. You type in Burmis, and my video comes up. And I'm signed in, and that's how Shadow Bandit is. But still, a few people uh, let me know about it, right? And uh, they, I saw comments. Usually, my videos die on YouTube, right? I saw some comments on this video, and then this has happened. I said, let's go back in time. Uh, again, unless you've been following me for, you know, three plus years now and 8.7 K views back then. Hey, still, still pretty good. Even if we can get there on YouTube at this point, I think this is like the tail end where I was still allowed to be monetized too. crazy times, crazy times. Um, but let's just do it. Let's, let's, let's play some vintage B. Hey everybody, Jason Burmis here. And this is a story that I really wasn't aware of, but it was something I grew up with. And when I saw these new allegations, basically in one of my feeds, and I couldn't confirm everything that was in the feed, but I did find some rather striking information. So if you're uh, watching me now and you see the two uh, gentlemen in the suits, they were a very, very, very politicized murder in uh, the late 80s and then the trial through uh, the early 90s all over the place where uh, the Menendez brothers, in my opinion, after looking at this now, were completely demonized and a lot was not made clear. So what am I talking about? Well, I also, I got to tell you, I'm so unhooked from pop culture. I didn't realize that this had been made into one of those law and order uh, crime shows you know, reminiscent of the O.J. Simpson case with the Menendez brothers. So I'm going completely uh, blank on that, but I'm familiar with this case. So they had claimed that they were sexually abused by their parents and they gruesomely killed them. I mean, I remember they were showing still shots of what they could, of what they had done all over the place, all over the place. And then on top of that, they portrayed them as like spoiled rich kids that were on a spending spree and a vacation afterwards, and that they had staged it to look like a mob hit. What was not emphasized at the time, and I feel absolutely should have been, 
were the, the fact that, you know, they were talking about some high level sexual abuse by their very, very powerfully connected Hollywood father. And if you've been paying attention to this channel, you know that Hollywood is into some sick stuff. So before we get into this story, which I missed from 2017, I want you to, you know, take a look at this through the years. You know, look, they always had them with their eyebrows down and look, they look how sinister they always looked. They looked so sinister. Now there was a first trial, which was in a mistrial. Then they got convicted. I believe they both got life in prison. They were separated for 22 years before they saw each other again. Now the sexual abuse was so horrific from the father that apparently the older brother, of, of, you know, was also sexually abusing his younger brother, you know, without really knowing it, I guess, because they were so young at the time. And so finally, I want to read this. And it, one of the cousins spoke out. We're going to get into a lot deeper, obviously, if you saw the thumb, because his Hollywood connections and his producer connections also reached that to the mega boy band Menudo, in which probably in this country, Ricky Martin is the most visible of those members, but it was a generational boy band. And people of my generation will certainly at least remember it being spoken of. And even my parents' generation is when it started to get popular. So let's get into this. The cousin of Lyle and Eric Menendez brothers, who were convicted of the 1989 murders of their parents, say she has no doubt the brothers' parents sexually abused them. So this was a mother-father combo pack here. It, it's pretty disturbing and disgusting, but a reality. And, uh, you know, if you watch my video from earlier today where we talked about uh, Daniel Radcliffe, where we talked about Alex Winter, uh, where we've talked about some of the other people like Bella Rose in the past, this is a very large reality. Our political upper echelons, unfortunately, are rife with these people. Our Hollywood elites are rife with these people and you know billionaires around the world are also rife you know power players are into this stuff it's gross it's beyond gross it, it's just it's deplorable i know that they would never ever have done what they did unless they felt that they had no choice that is was either of them uh of their parents diane uh vandermelen who is speaking for the first time since she testified at their trial told abc news I believe that very strongly. You know, people testified on their behalf that this was really going on. Oh, but nobody would believe that Jose and Kitty Menendez uh, would have done this to their children. Lyle and Eric shot and killed their parents. Uh, Jose Menendez, 45, a wealthy entertainment executive. And Kitty Menendez, 47, at their Beverly Hills mansion on August 20th, 1989. At the time of the murders, Lyle was 21 years old and Eric was 18 years old. I can only imagine um, living with that, you know, and especially him being a serial molester later. I mean, we're going to get into the uh, accusations of what was actually going on with Menudo. At their first trial, defense uh, lawyer Leslie Abramson argued that Lyle and Eric shot their parents in self-defense because they feared their parents would kill them if they ever went public about the years of alleged molestation they suffered from their father. They're probably right. Uh, the first trial ended on a mistrial in 1994 because the jurors were uh, deadlocked and unable to come to a verdict. The brothers were found guilty of first-degree murder in 1996 after a second trial and sentenced to two consecutive life prison terms without the possibility of parole. 
And let me also say this. I remember this coming back into the news because there was an NBA hoops card and they were uh, attending, I believe, a, a Knicks game. So they were in New York uh, after they had killed their parents. So going into this, again, they talk about the uh, kitty being shot 10 times, that uh, Lyle almost decapitated his dad. Again, th these were the gruesome details that they always focus on. You know, um, again, this was not a focus, okay? But again, Lyle admitted to molesting his younger brother, Eric, but what else did he know? And they talked about the mother being involved in this as well, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, we're talking about also sadistic physical abuse on top of it. So did Jose, uh, uh, let's see, uh, they get the the last name wrong because it is Menendez. Um, the, the question is, was Ricky Martin ever a part of this? Because as I said, there was a huge, huge, huge scandal back in the day that these kids were being trafficked. And remember, even the uh, one member of the Pussycat Dolls talked about them and how it was a prostitution ring and how they were being trafficked as well, et cetera, et cetera. So generations of young entertainment boys with all these promises of millions and millions of dollars. So at first, Martin denied ever meeting Menendez, but the evidence is clear that they were acquainted. Uh, he was an RCA executive. He set up an office in Miami and was responsible for sourcing talent. He was instrumental in managing the careers of groups like Menudo, the Latin boy band Martin was a member of as a child. During the 80s and 90s, rumors started surfacing that the members of Menudo were being trafficked and sold to older men in the industry sex parties. Accusations and arrests followed in the Latin and Filipino media. The news received the same media circus coverage of the O.J. Simpson trial. Not so much in America. But it happened, and uh, this is from 2015, and this is Angelo Garcia. He, uh, he talked about the sexual abuse. And remember... Uh, the accusations of somebody like Lou Pearlman, thank you so much, Nick Waits. We're going to get to you uh, in one second. But I want to do this together. Lou Pearlman, sex abuse allegations. This guy is new kids on the block in sync. Uh, there you go, Lou Pearlman, sex abuse accusations. Um, watch Ashley Par Parker Angel uh, address Lou Pearlman's uh, thing for boys in boy band con scene. Yeesh. Can we even play this on here? I don't know. I guess we're going to try, huh? Names and music. And so it's a real dilemma that you find yourself in. So it's sort of out there that Lou had this dark quality to him where he would use his power and influence to try to manipulate young performers into these really questionable scenarios. Oh, really? You mean molest young boys? Why are we dancing around it? Why are we, what's the dance for? Lou Pearlman, not a good dude. Mike I mean, come Pearlman, on. Who worked for Transcontinental Records at the time, pulled us aside and said, look, here's the deal. There's rumors about Lou. We don't know. It's unconfirmed. Oh, oh, they don't know. Nobody ever knows, huh? Nick Waits, thank you for the super chat. Killing it, Jason. Keep it at an in-perspective during this time of information overload. Truth is scarce in today's internet climate, or perhaps it always has been. Unfortunately, it has it always has been, but now even the alternative no sources are feeding you partisan bullshit. And I think that's why 
Uh, this program is important. So, guys, if you do like this, thumbs it up, share it. If you're new to the program, now's the time to subscribe. Join the Burmese Brigade. And if you can, I got to go fund me. Uh, it's how I'm keeping it going. We're going to finish that clip in a minute. We're actually almost there. Uh, it's going to end after tomorrow, I believe. I'm going to run it through tomorrow and then start another one on the 18th. So uh, once again, thank you for all the support out there. All right, let's continue. I'd have a thing for boys. You know, Lou would come into the rehearsal room. Oh. And he'd be like, hey, guys, let's see your abs. Take off your shirts. This kind of stuff where it feels like, oh, maybe this is part of having a mentor of a band who wants to make sure you're in good shape because that's what he would always say. Oh, yeah, I want to make sure you're in good shape. Yeah, of course. That's what Lou Pearlman wanted. So, um, with Angelo here talking about it, let's go back to this. Whether he's known from his days in Menudo or his striking, uh, good-looking, half-naked, tattooed singing man in many viral videos that sweep social media uh, around the world, everyone has seen Angelo at one point or another. But there is no way anyone was pre prepared for the emotional tell-all interview that took place Thursday night uh, on Dr. Zoe today. In order to fully understand a Angelo, all judgment must be first cast aside. The highly controversial open bisexual man adores his fans. He has been seen performing everything from a rendition of Lenny Kravitz, American Woman, worthy of Magic Mike scene, to Little Mermaid's part of your world for the kids. Angela Angelo may look like a bulging mass muscle on the outside, but inside is a sensitive, caring being holding a gut-wrenching story. Uh, let's see. Angelo Garcia was just shy of 11 years old when he auditioned for a spot in Menudo after seeing a television commercial in Puerto Rico during a family vacation. Traveling the globe and performing alongside fellow band member Ricky Martin, some may say simply that the rest is history. However, the rule that should apply in this situation is you never know uh, what goes on behind closed doors. Angelo's story is one filled with sexual abuse, bullying, and disappointment. I was sexually molested. From the age of 8 to 14. That's the reality. And I don't know if Martin was, but he certainly stands against sex trafficking and he's put his money where his mouth is. Uh, and good for him for doing it. And I'm not saying he should have to come out, uh, but he is somebody who actually has uh, has spoken out, has put money behind it. And um, that's a positive thing in my opinion. I think that, you know, the more people that come out and speak out against these things, uh, the better. But, you know, you're always going to have this Hollywood spin. For instance, I want to point out, you know, Variety, the seven bi biggest mistakes in law and order, true crime, the uh, Menendez murders. So they're always going to try to downplay this, leave some doubt in there that Hollywood is as evil as you hear. But unfortunately, it's worse than you can imagine. And with that being said, we tell the truth here. It's not about a left or right perspective. It's always about right and wrong. Always about right and wrong. Um, so my brother was in the chat. He believes that they were at a Lakers versus Knicks game, which is very possible. Um, the card, though, we did show it. It's right here. And it is a Knicks card. It was Mark Jackson. Um, and I do believe... Um, who is that? That's, I think, Eric Menendez, and it looks like a Knicks hat. Um, my eyes are still pretty good. I want to say the floor there could be, uh, it could be blue, but it also could be Laker purple. So uh, I think my brother's got that one right. Might have been the Knicks at an away game. But, yeah, they went to a basketball game apparently right after that. Um, 
I do want to point out that the the new accuser is not the one that was covered in that. So again, these people don't stop. They're serial abusers. Roy uh, Rossello is the uh, latest accuser in this Menendez case. And that just shows you how relevant the material we cover here. And one of the other things that's downplayed in all of this is it's a cycle of abuse. What do I mean by that? Some people who are abused become the abusers themselves later on. In fact, a high percentage because it's normalized and uh, nothing's really ever done about it. Okay. Uh, looks like the Menendez brothers went the other route. And, you know, I'm just going to say it. I, I can't even fathom that. You know, I've I had problems with my parents, my step parents and whatever, and, and relatives in my life, sure. But I was never once worried about being abused in any type of sexual manner. We're supposed to protect children. And the idea now that a lot of that seems to be trivialized and normalized to this day. Again, Dennis Hassert, big-time Republican Speaker of the House, not in jail, labeled a serial child abuser by a judge. Serial. I mean, the bottom line to me is, first of all, if you've ever committed these crimes, you don't belong in society anymore ever again. The road to redemption for you is in a jail, not around children ever again. Okay. I'm not calling for your castration. I'm not calling uh, for your death. I'm saying you no longer are allowed to be around kids ever again or civil society for what you've done because it's that horrific, period. Now, does that approach stop the monsters? I don't know that it does because monsters going to monster. Bad people out there, man. Yeah, I mean, that's just reality. There's a spectrum of good and evil. We have to realize that sociopaths don't give one mother truck. They just don't. They don't have that mechanism. Very self-serving. The other thing is, you know, <coughs> that in order to work, say, certain levels of intelligence, you, you kind of have to have that perspective in regards to human life if you're at the upper echelons. Yesterday, for uh, Making Sense of the Madness, the, the show I sometimes substitute host on AMP, I did two really interesting interviews. And uh, one of them was with a 20-year veteran of the CIA. I had a good hour with them. We do commercial breaks, but still about 45, 50 minutes. And when I do those shows, um, you know, a producer goes and grabs those people. They send a full bio. It's a whole thing. They do, they do all the editing on their end. And usually they're selling a book or they've sent over a bunch of articles they want to go over. And this guy, in my opinion, at first, he was a bit of a China hawk. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to catch you with honey and not sting you with bees, right? So eventually he ends up opening up a little bit because the first thing I do with these people 
and I, and I'd encourage you to check it out. Uh, it's over, uh, I think I posted over on my Twitter so you can go check it out. I'll probably end up posting it uh, sometime next week over at Rockfin as well for you Rockfinners. I love you guys. In fact, I put a couple uh, making sense of the madness clips over there as well recently. Um, other good interviews. But first, I want to get a beat on these people, right? Because I, 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 people are people, okay? And I don't believe that everybody that works for the Central Intelligence Agency is bad. And I don't believe that everybody that works for the FBI is bad. And I realize that we have to have a military and a government, okay? There, there are those people in ultra-fantasy world that always preach anarchy and the non-aggression principle. That's just not human nature. That's just not real, unfortunately. I, I wish it were. We have a multilaterally armed uh, nation-state arena built on a privatized military-industrial complex. I mean, it's, it's even more complex than that. But in layman's terms, a lot of people got weapons. And history has shown us that ultimately, when the big conflicts arise, when the big issues arise, the people with the best weapons fare the best. The ones that don't get invaded. Can you, uh, again, it's never happened really in, in modern history that we've we had any kind of enemy on the shores of the United States. It very unimaginable. So I find out that this guy is uh, an army vet. Um, he's in the CIA for 20 years. And he's essentially, as he put it to me, because I, I was trying to get more out of him, but I'm in my little suit jacket, you know, and I'm, I'm kind of pressed. You could tell he didn't really want to talk about what he had done in the CIA, you know, for 20 years. Other than he ran operations before 9-11 and after 9-11. I think he might have said he joined in like 82. Okay. So he was talking about he's the guy that gets sources on the inside and flips them. He's the guy that creates and manages assets, essentially. And boy, oh boy, he, we're, we're sitting there and we're talking about the rise of the police state. Okay. And not only the police state, but this homeland security infrastructure. And he's pretty open about the idea that it's gone too far. The Central Intelligence Agency has no business working within the United States against United States citizens. Um, he acknowledged the fusion centers, the Mayak report, the demonization of those with the gas, gas and flag, or uh, you know, live free or die, don't tread on me. He had sent me an article prior to that, you know, to go over that now apparently the FBI is flagging red-pilled and Chad. <laughs> Chad is, like, I know that, like, Chad is, is a big thing here. Now, this is where we're going to get a little fluff, right? This is reality rants. We can do it. It's a long show. In fact, in about 14 minutes, we're going to be coming over to uh, 
redvoicemedia.com slash Jason, redvoicemedia.com slash uncensored. Sign up today for only a buck. Check it out for a week. You don't like it. Cancel. Okay, great. You love it. 10 bucks a month. I think that's less than uh, ESPN Plus at this point. Yeah, Jesus. 10 bucks a month or 100 bucks for the year. Lock it in, save the 20 bucks, support the broadcast, and then get all their other shows. It's an actual network with live broadcasts going down. So you can find the feeds, get in the chat, interact with others like you're doing over here on YouTube. It's good times, McGrady. Chad. So now Chad is on the FBI watch list. All I can think of for Chad is this guy I went to high school with. I'm not going to say his last name, but if my brother's watching, he knows damn well what I'm talking about. Apparently, he became a cop afterwards. Um, Kind of a you know, farm boy, redneck type. He, I, I remember one time he uh, he whizzed a baseball, hit me in the head. But we were we were catching, but I wasn't looking. I mean, he nailed me right in the noggin. That, that, that's one of the toughest uh, base. I, I think I only got hit in the head with a baseball harder once. But now Chad's on the on the FBI watch list, and I and I talk about it. I hate the term red pill. Hate it. Hey, I, the Matrix films, okay. You go watch my breakdown, especially if you're new, of the last Matrix movie. Because the last Matrix movie was really pulling you towards transhumanism. That's what it was. Okay. It it was, I mean, it's about as transhumanist as it gets. Full throttle. We need to merge with the machines. We're gonna work with the good ones. No bueno, no mas, no mas, no, 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 no. We need to utilize the machines. The machines need to work for us, the general populace, and not for the few, the predator class. And we can't allow that predator class to get their way with things like unzipped jeans. No, no, no. Let me say no. Can, can I say no again? How about some no on that? We can't, we can't allow that, okay? Because if we allow that, and I was having a discussion with Thomas Renz, I think that airs tonight. So the CIA guy yesterday, and by the way, going back to that just for a second before I, I get into this transhumanist thing more, there was also a point where he talked about, you know, Al-Qaeda getting a uh, nuclear weapon. They were well on their way before 9-11. I don't buy into that either. You know, I, I'd like to get them on my show where there aren't breaks, where we can have more of kind of like a... um informal conversation and then talk about the central intelligence agency role in 9-11 itself and the fact that we've had rogue agents there uh for decades that's the big problem at the upper echelons uh, they're basically the the yes men bureaucrats they're going to do what the establishment wants and some of them are extremely cunning again sociopathic just saying just saying but with wrens we're now, you know, there's a lot of talk of uh, the food supply and what they are now going to inoculate the livestock and um, really a lot of different animals with. And, and as I've talked about, I, I think a lot of this mRNA stuff is that road to what? Transhumanism, changing what it is to be a human step by step piece by piece, gradually. It's a gradual thing. And look, 
right now is the moment where decisions need to be made. They need to be made five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. If we'd stepped up to the plate after 9-11, after people started feeling the scam. And plenty of people, by the way, were feeling the scam pre-Iraq, but especially post-Iraq, when there was no weapons of mass destruction. Where are all the weapons? When you zoomed out on the Saddam statue video. Remember the Saddam statue video? And they played that every they toppled Saddam. Look at the people stomp and cheer. They've taken down the symbol of evil. Then you watch the zoomed out thing and you realize they were bust there to do that by the US military for a propaganda bit. Let's see. Um, let's see if we can find that. Well, let's go to DuckDuckGo. I don't even want to try Google. So we're on DuckDuckGo. See what we got. Saddam statue takedown um, wide angle. Let's see. Videos. See, th th this was it right here. They're ce celebrating Kurds. They brought the Kurds in. Uh, here, here it is. Here's how, how the media created the iconic fall. Oh, this is, you know what? ProPublica. Hey, first time that I've seen anything from ProPublica ever. This is 12 years ago. Aside from the uh, Clarence Thomas takedown. So this is 12 years ago. Looks like they were doing some real journalism. And, and, and not that that piece wasn't real journalism. It does show the crony capitalism. It, do, it does show a captured and beholden justice system. And it especially shows uh, how the power elite enjoy going out into the woods and and doing their owl thing but let's play this looks like a, it's going to be interesting to see whether they pull this down i guess they will and now it pulls a cheer goes around the square there he goes three weeks into the invasion of iraq the famous toppling of saddam hussein's statue in firdos square was heralded by the media as a symbol of victory. Jubilant seems too mild a word for what you're seeing here. Is but the war had only just begun. The, the saturation coverage depicted the toppling. I mean, look at this. This was absurd. <laughs> just as a populist groundswell. But it was, in fact, a small event shaped into greater significance by the media. The symbolic ending of this. Beardo Square wasn't the end of a short war. It was the beginning of a long one. Watching these amazing scenes of uh, ordinary Iraqis, citizens with sledgehammers. And the toppling lasted about two hours. The networks almost never broke away. What is he doing? Oh, there He's we have it. Furling an American, an American flag. flag. Uh, this yeah. is going to be kind of fascinating and not a little suspenseful to watch here. I hope they're watching this all over the Arab Spring. Careful examination of those broadcasts and photographs suggests the crowd, which varied in size, topped out at just a few hundred. And it was to a significant degree composed of journalists and Marines. Just about five minutes ago. Nonetheless, between 11 a.m. and 8 p.m., CNN replayed the toppling every 7.5 minutes. Fox replayed it every 4.4 minutes. Wide shots from the live coverage, which revealed a more subdued reality, were not replayed. The iconic images that shaped public opinion in America did not reveal the actual scale of the event. 
Though some reporters cautioned editors back home that the event was minor compared to the fighting and looting elsewhere, a visual echo chamber occurred. Rather than find the news, editors urged reporters to focus on what was unfolding on TV. Similarities between these events and the events back in Eastern Europe. By the next morning, victorious images commanded front pages worldwide, along with language to match. The Berlin Wall, chip by chip coming down, and then all the statues of the communist. Robert Collier, a San Francisco Chronicle reporter, awoke to find that editors had recast his story to emphasize triumph at Firdos. I was told by my editor that I had screwed up and had not seen the importance of the historical event. You have to think that there are going to be some minds changed as a result of these incredible pictures. That by were... portraying the toppling as a moment of victory, the media conveyed a reassuring message, but a false one. The scenes of free Iraqis celebrating in the streets, riding American tanks, tearing down the statues of Saddam Hussein in the center of Baghdad are breathtaking. We're seeing history unfold, events that will shape the course of a country, the fate of a people, and potentially the future of the region. And potentially the future of the region. There's Donnie Rumsfeld right there, former Secretary of Defense. And another reason that I, I really like this RFK Jr., okay? Number one, anti-war guy. Number two, now questioning Ukraine on, on the Tuckins last night. Um, and number three, calling out the failed neocon, quote unquote, new American century. He said, new American century. What's that mean? Well, it means that RK Jr. is well aware of the project for a new American century. Very well aware of people like Cheney, Rumsfeld, Wolfowitz, and others that were in that administration. Writing about not only the need at the time prior to 9-11 for a catalyzing event, hmm, much like Pearl Harbor, in order to bring about that new American century in the Middle East. Otherwise, the, the process would be a long and arduous one. And the bottom line is, even when they got everything they wished for, it's still a long and arduous one and one of failure because it was never designed to be successful because to be successful would mean what? A traditional means where we would de-escalate and leave gradually, leave some bases there just like we kind of did in World War II. Obviously not what just happened in Afghanistan. At the same time, you got Merc groups everywhere. You've got the technology embedded that's already been utilized there, AKA the biometric systems and the drone systems. So, so gradually more than their new Americans, their failed new American century, unfortunately, they've had a road to not only their track trace database, globalist new world order, but the aspect of that, that is an accelerated piece, pace that I didn't expect to happen in my generation. Uh, under the skin, and not just through, um, I, I would say, chip technology or even traditional human brain interface technology, but through bio nanotech. I never expected that that would be an aspect that was really going to encompass, you know, my life before fifty.
and I'm, I'm I'm still well before 50, folks. Don't get me wrong, but that that's kind of the attitude that I take there. So we are at the final minute. I'm gonna I'm gonna cue to my producer that it's just about time to go over to uh to the premium, and that's where we're gonna do this um, Hillsdale College. I mean, again, we we did some of it. Where where are we? Here we are. We did some of it yesterday in the uh, premium. We're going to skip over the 10, 12, 13 minutes or so that we did in the first one. I think we're going to start with him reading the material provided by an autistic mother who went to his house and knocked on his door. Not, I said autistic mother, a mother of an autistic uh, child. Brought him on the journey of truth. We really appreciate him. He's who I'm getting behind. So you want to listen. Come over to the InfoWarriors uh, Podbean channel. It's streaming live right now. You can get yesterday's show, all that stuff. Uh, I want to thank everybody as we leave. Uh, but remember, redvoicemedia.com slash uncensored, redvoicemedia.com slash Jason. All right, Rockfin, we're gone. YouTube, we'll see ya. And rumble away. I will wait for my text. And as we wait for my text to let me know that we are good to go, I just want to say again, um, RFK Jr., he's the man. It, it's it, it, He's not just talk. He's walked the walk. He talked about real pollution, real lawsuits, real harm to human beings. So um, I think right now where we're at, we're going we're gonna to overlay about two, three minutes, and he's telling the story about how he started to even questional, question traditional vaccinations. And I got about six inches down on that pile, and I was just dumbstruck by this huge delta between what the public health agencies were saying, the science said, and what the actual peer-reviewed published science was saying. And I started after that doing what I always did when I didn't understand something I had because of my name and my family's relationships with these agencies. I could always get the head of an agency on a phone very quickly. And I started calling them and asking questions. I got Francis Collins from NIH and Kathleen Stratton and Marie McCormick from Institute of Medicine. And they told me something weird. I asked them about science and i realized they were completely not conversant with it they were just parroting this phrase safe and effective safe and effective safe and effective safe and effective and francis collins is one of the worst bro he said he sat up there and snickered and laughed with fauci right when he was questioned by Joe Kennedy about the WHO and the CCP and everything was fun and games. He did those repulsive videos where he's playing the guitar and doing parodies of Puff the Magic Dragon with his crazy ass wife. Horrible. Horrible. And they're just cocon safe and effective, safe and effective, safe and effective, all pre-COVID. Effective then read any of the actual science and when i asked them about details they said you have to talk to paul offit well paul offit is a vaccine developer who's a partner of merck's and you know i had been working with with 
EPA for many years, suing about probably 20% of my lawsuits were against EPA, which is a captive agency, but captive by the oil and chemical pesticide industries. And, um, you know, EPA, if I, if I call a, a science guy or a regulator there, they're going to have some self-respect. And they're going to try to answer my question. They're not going to direct me to a coal industry lobbyist. So this was bizarre. And then when I talked to Paul Offit, I, I caught him in a lie, like a, uh, and which I'm not going to go into. I'd love to go into, but I'm going to. Um, I, I I need to conserve my time here. And remember, if you weren't here yesterday, the reason he's talking about coal is because it's the actual uh, runoff that is mercury in the water supply uh, that basically happens at coal plants. And that's a real concern. That's a real pollutant. That's, you never hear about that. You never, ever, ever hear about that. But again, RFK Jr. knew about that, knew about the poisons, knew about how it wasn't doing good things to the ecosystem, stood up, and he's like, why am I talking to a coal lobbyist? Why is this coal lobbyist obviously lying to me word for it and but he knew i caught him in a lie i knew and there was that moment where we we're like you are just a liar and uh and so so then uh then i realized okay these guys either don't know what they're doing or they're lying about it deliberately and then i realized these agencies were completely captured by the agency captured on steroids. FDA gets more than 50% of its budget from the pharmaceutical companies. CDC has a $12 billion budget and 5 billion of that, so almost half, goes to buying vaccines from these companies and then distribute them. So if you work at CDC, you do not get promotions by finding problems with vaccines. You get promoted by increasing uptake. You get promoted by increasing uptake. These are captured on quote unquote steroids, all pre-COVID 1984. And people were listening then. People were listening on the on the left. Ooh, tra traditional liberals were listening to this before there was just this massive propaganda campaign. Far right, white supremacy. Russia, 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 Russia. And um, and then NIH is just an incubator for pharmaceutical products. So it develops the vaccines, hands them over to the industry, hands them over to the universities, which then get NIH money, 200, $300 million to do phase two and phase three, phase one and phase two trials. Then if those are successful, which they always are because they make them successful, they then call in the pharmaceutical company to do a phase three. And then they all divide up the royalty, the patent margin rights. And then they all go, you know, then Tony Fauci, who's the head of NIH, walks it through the regulatory process at FDA and CDC, where he's picked the members of the panels who are all taking money from him. I mean, he, he lays it out. I've seen the uh, Anthony Fauci film, right? The real Anthony Fauci film. I have not read the book. Um, he, you can say something about his voice. 
But the concise nature of him laying out the corruption right there is really unparalleled. It's it's really just a great demonstration how all the pieces fit into place for this corruption. All right, prior to COVID-1984, and I discuss this all the time. How many times do you start listening to something or watching something late night, and all of a sudden you hear about a new lawsuit because of an old medication, right? Or something that was over the counter. Johnson and Johnson just lost, I think it was eight to nine billion dollars in a lawsuit on their baby powder. You know, babies. And think about the uptick of injections into children and babies over the last three plus decades. It's an exponential top up. Exponential. And right there, he's describing to you how not only they they rig the trials to make them successful beforehand, but then they divvy up all the profits. It's disgusting. And they know their product is next in line, and their job is to rubber stamp this product and recommend it to children. So I saw this this process and how it worked. And um, it's beyond, you know, it was regulatory capture on steroids. It was like, and then NIH gets the money. I got deplatformed for saying NIH owns half of this vac- the Moderna vaccine. They said that's vaccine misinformation. Well, guess what? On Thursday this week, Moderna made a $400 million payment to NIH for its share of the royalties to date. So, um, you know, all of my conspiracy theories have about a three-month shelf life before they become reality. And, and, uh, and you see, that that's, that's really the reality, the non-gaslit reality, that this guy is going to fill rooms, okay? He, he's going to have a ton of different people behind him in a separate speech, um, which do I have two? I, do I have the two minute clip where he asks uh, for people's support, the, the people, the independents and the Democrats and the Republicans that don't feel like they have a home? He's going to represent us all. Look, I don't put all my eggs in one basket. I don't believe in heroes. Um, but I, but right now, I, I believe this is by far, by far our most genuine and best option. Listen to the way this man is speaking. Listen to the way this man is speaking. There's a lot in here. Now, the, uh, again, if you want to go watch this, you got to go to the uh, Hillsdale Video Library. I didn't find it available anywhere else. They put out like the first 14 minutes over on uh, over on YouTube, but that's it. But let's because he goes hard. This guy again. This is what a candidate should sound like. Oh. Um- and then what I realized, I do this very quickly. The I saw what had happened in the vaccine program. When I was a kid, I got three vaccines. I was compliant. And but my kids, I have seven kids. They got 72 vaccines. And they're all mandated. In California, you can't get out of it. And um, so uh, how did that happen? It happened because Ronald Reagan signed the vaccine act what happened is they 
1979, they started using a DTB vaccine, diphtheria, tetanus, and pertussis, which is now illegal in Europe and the United States. Bill Gates gives it to 161 million African kids a year, but it was killing or doing permanent brain damage to one in every 300 kids. According to an NIH study, commission study at UCLA, oh, this was devastating. So we got rid of it and we switched it with another attenuated version of the vaccine that, that is less dangerous and less effective. But um, but Wyeth, which made it, which is now called Pfizer, went to Reagan and said, we're paying $20, million, $20 in downstream liability for every dollar that we make in profits. And we're going to get out of the vaccine business altogether unless you give us full immunity from liability. And Reagan said, why don't you make the vaccine safe? And they said, because vaccines are unavoidably unsafe. And that phrase is in the preamble of the statute. Unavoidably unsafe. Unavoidably unsafe. This is a direct and real conversation by somebody, you know, we talk about deep research that sat down with the material and manned up. And, and by the way, if you watched yesterday's and admitted when he was wrong, okay, and, and went on a journey of doing his own research. And luckily he's got the Kennedy name, so he gets to talk to some, some big players. And by doing that research and talking to the highest of the high, the biggest of the big, he starts to figure out, this is a big deal. So when people tell you it's safe and effective, the statute that they're relying on says they're unavoidably unsafe. And the Bruce Witts versus Wyeth case, which is the Supreme Court case that upheld that statute, has the same phrase in it. So as soon as he did that, now they have this liability shield. So no matter how negligent they are, no matter how reckless they are, no matter how grievous your injury, no matter how toxic and unnecessary the product, no matter how unnecessary and ineffective the vaccine, you cannot sue them. They, you know, and of course, these are the companies that are not good companies. These are the same companies that gave us the opioid epidemic that now kills more 68 uh, 68,000 kids in this country every year, more than the Vietnam War did in 20 years. And, and I would argue, you, you know, we can talk about the opioid epidemic, but these are also the people behind the SSRI, just catastrophic zombification of not only the general populace, but children in particular. I mean, the children are a real target. They want this to be the norm. You talk about a new normal, but just not even a new normal for them. The normal, what they grew up with, just a massively drugged up, doped up, compliant populace. You want 112 of these in, in, in the uh, first three years of the life? But 112 it is. He's talking about 72 first kids. 72. He got three. And they knew it. And if you look at that, um, that Netflix documentary, Dope Sick, 
it shows exactly how they did it because the FDA was totally corrupted by this industry and did whatever they said. And um, and so the same. So this is the industry. What happens when you said to go to that industry and you say, now no matter what you do, this, by the way, the four companies that make all of our vaccines have paid thirty-five billion dollars in criminal penalties in the last ten years. These are criminal enterprises. Criminality. There are serial felons. Every one of them. Serial felons. Every one of them. Not. It's great. It's the best thing ever. Thank you, Moderna. Thank you, Pfizer. It's amazing. It's tops. No. Serial criminal enterprises. Is anybody watching or listening? Not ready to vote for this guy yet. So, but so. Why do you think, if you remove any chance they'll ever get caught, that they're suddenly going to find Jesus and say, yeah, because in my political party, everybody knows, the Democrats, everybody knows the vaccine, the pharmaceutical companies are just the worst, most corrupt company that there are. But when it comes to vaccines, they're not corrupt. And it's a, a, this weird cognitive dissonance. So... Uh, so they, so then what happened is the, you had these companies and now are absolved from the biggest cost of every medicine, which is downstream liability. Then they're absolved from something else. Vaccines are the only, the only product, medical product that never has to do pre-licensing safety studies. So not one, and this is an artifact of CDC's legacy as the public health service, which is a, you know, one of the, part of the uniform military services. And the public health service launched the vaccine program as a national security defense against biological attacks on our country. So they want- By the way, a lot of the biological experimentation that was going on, right? Um, during World War II with the Nazis, was to develop bioweapons, but also create a vaccine for the general populace so they would be protected from the bioweapon, but everybody else wouldn't. So this has been going on a long time, not just in the United States, but we remember, we have to remember that those same companies that work in the Nazis evolved, you know, into modern day pharma, working with the military industrial complex. And if you've been watching, and especially the premium side, you know that we played um, the video of Howard Scott, the founder of Technocracy during the Kennedy administration, talking about putting sterilization uh, techniques into the water supply or into candy, into candy, he said. Okay. Not voluntary childbirth, but mass sterilization. Just wild stuff through vaccination programs as well. Wanted to make sure that if the Russians attacked us with anthrax or some other biological agent, we could quickly formulate a vaccine and then deploy it to 200 million Americans with no regulatory impediments. Because they said, if we call it a medicine, we're gonna have to test it for safety. That takes five years because a lot of the injuries from medical products have long diagnostic horizons or long incubation periods. 
you don't see them for five years. And you could be saving 10,000 lives from diphtheria and killing 100,000 people from cancer five years later. You want to find out if that's true. But they said, we don't have time to do that. So we're going to call them biologics. And we will exempt biologics from any safety testing. So for many years, I was saying not one of the 72 vaccines mandated for children has ever been safety tested in pre-licensing placebo-controlled trials. Not one. Not one. And again, they change the language. You just change the language. Make it all about semantics. Tony Fauci was saying he's lying. In 2016, President Trump appointed me to run a vaccine safety commission. And he ordered Fauci and Collins to meet with me with White House counsel present. And I said to Fauci at that meeting, you say I'm lying. For eight years, you've been saying I'm lying about this. Show me this study. And at that point, he made this show of going through, you know, a lawyer's red well, like he was looking for a study. And he said, I don't, I don't have it here. I don't have it here. And, and look, you got to give Trump credit. He absolutely did that. And everybody, Bill Gates told him not to do that. Oh, it's a dead end. Science is settled. It's safe and effective is back in bethesda and uh, i'll send it to you i never got it so i sued him me and aaron siri and after stonewalling us for a year they their lawyers met us on the courthouse steps and said yep you're right we never had any study and they gave it to us in writing you can go to the chd website my website and you can see that letter from hhs so so they don't have to do, there's no downstream liability. There's no front end safety testing. That saves them a quarter billion dollars. And there's no marketing and advertising costs. And here's the thing. Exactly. Mar they market this. They're the biggest, the biggest advertisers on most of these news networks now. You constantly am bombarded by supposed medicine and vaccines and pills on television. That should be between you and your doctor. They don't need to be advertised. In fact, it should, it's illegal in most countries. Because the federal government is ordering them to get, ordering 78 million school kids to take that vaccine every year. What better product could you have? And so they, uh, there was a gold rush to add all these new vaccines to the schedule that we don't need. Why would you give a hepatitis B vaccine to a child, a baby? The only way you get hepatitis B, you can get it from the mother, but every mother's tested in the hospital. Every mother who goes in the hospital is tested, so you know. You give it to those kids, okay. Oh, if the only way that you get it is from, you know, is from sleeping with a, a prostitute, unprotected sex, or or male promiscuity, promiscuity, or from sharing needles with somebody who's got it. Well, the little baby gets it on the first day of life. He's not going to do any of that stuff. So, uh, so why do they do it? I'll tell you why. Because Merck 
because uh, Fauci told Merck to make the vaccine. Fauci helped make it, develop it. Merck made it, and they said, we're going to sell it to prostitutes and to male homosexuals. Merck came back a year later and says, none of these guys want it. Yeah, weird. No, we, we, we need a huge market. Let's give it to kids and babies. They got other things they want to spend their money on, and they're not, they're not people who are really concerned with health, by the way. Oh, they, uh, they, so, so the CDC and FDA said, don't worry. They said, we put all this money, Merck said, we put all the money into infrastructure, and now nobody's buying it. And so they said, okay, we'll mandate it for children. That's why these kids have to get hepatitis B vaccines. The entire safety testing for Merck's hepatitis B vaccine, four days. Oh, it's criminal. And most of these vaccines are unnecessary. Many of them are for diseases that are not even casually contagious. It was a gold rush. Because if you get onto that schedule, the recommended schedule, it's a billion dollars a year for your company. And in many cases, NIH is carrying the royalties. So we got all of these new vaccines, 72 shots, 16 vaccines, and now even more because we're doing the HPV vaccine. And that year, 19... Which is also insane. You know, the HPV vaccine also tries to sell you on the idea that it's going to stop cervical cancer. And then you read the fine print and they're like, we don't have any real evidence of that. Just to let you know. That's that's kind of just like a Bernaysian talking point. Like, you know, it could could help prevent cervical cancer later in life. And you could go to the moon on a flying pig with a uh, Swiss cheese tail next to a leprechaun. Yeah, in the multiverse while you identify as a trans pansexual. <laughs> Why not? Why not? Why not? All right, let's go back to uh, to uh, RFK. In 89, we saw an explosion in chronic disease in American children. Any of you who are my age, I'm going to name the, the, some of the diseases that are most common. You think about it, whether if you're my age, I'm 69. I had 11 brothers and sisters, 70 cousins, and I never saw any of these diseases. I never knew a kid with a peanut allergy. And I, you know, why do five of my kids have food allergies? Well, you know, I, the asthma was around, but it was rare. My brother's doctor, my brother has asthma. His doctor said there'll never be a cure for these diseases because it's too rare. Nobody ever studies it. Now one out of every four black children has asthma. The neurological diseases suddenly exploded in 1989. ADD, ADHD, sleep uh, disorders, uh, language delays, ASD, autism, Tourette syndrome, tics, narcolepsy. These are all things that I never heard of. No one else going to tell you this. No one else running, at least that I've seen, running for El Presidente. Uh, uh, this is all Mr. Kennedy, sir. And thank you for this. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Autism went from 1 in 10,000 in my generation, according to the CDC data, to 
one in every 34 kids today, one in every 22 boys. And some of these kids, you know, in severe autism, I've never seen anybody my age with severe autism, severe, real, you know, full-blown autism. That means stimming, headbanging, toe walking, nonverbal, non-toilet train. You, where do you, where are these people? I don't even see them in the malls because they didn't exist then. And there's no, they're not locked up anywhere because there's no place to put them. You know, but what, but you know, one in 34 kids hasn't about half of them look like that. These are kids that will never hit a baseball. They'll never pay taxes. They'll never vote. They'll never write a poem. You know, these are kids who, who many of them will never sit on a toilet unassisted. I mean, it's, it's criminal. Thank God for this guy, man. And, and again, uh, people that don't like his voice, get over it. Uh, listen to how articulate he is. That's why we're playing this. Because, look, I've seen bits and pieces going viral here and there. The whole thing is pure gold. It's pure gold wrapped in diamonds and platinum. It's hardcore truth. Never go out on a date. We did this to a generation of kids. Those in the neurological disorders autoimmune diseases i never knew anybody with juvenile diabetes rheumatoid arthritis lupus 170 autoimmune diseases that have now exploded congress said to epa tell us what year the autism epidemic began and epa is captured but but not by pharma so it actually did some science and it said 1989 it's a red line that's the year. Now it could be so. Oh, let me get into that in a minute. And then the last category is allergic diseases. Is food allergies, peanut allergies, anaphylaxis. I've never heard of eczema. Now you go into every classroom. And um, I mean, again, eggs exploded. He's not wrong. Autoimmune disorders exploded. Skin disorders exploded. And so, and anaphylaxis. By the way, my kids, so many of my kids had food allergies that I helped found the Food Allergy Initiative. We raised, and my a guy I was suing constantly, David Koch, was my partner starting this thing. So um, he had a kid the same age as mine with who's anaphylaxis. We brought $200 million. We brought all these doctors up and scientists. We created a lab. What I found out is these scientists, the way they study food allergies, is they they give rats allergies. They induce some allergies in the rat, and then they study it. How do you induce an allergy in a rat? You give them the aluminum adjuvant from the hepatitis B vaccine. Wait, another heavy metal? The aluminum adjuvant? Interesting. You know, and there are some people that will deny that there's any type of heavy metals. That, you know, didn't they take the thimerosal with the mercury out? No, 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 no. Along with the protein. So if you give him a pro peanut protein, he now has peanut allergies. If you give him a latex protein, he now has latex allergies. If you give him a, uh, you know, a dairy protein, he now has dairy allergies. That's how they give it to him. And then not only is it the, the protein 
doesn't have to be in the syringe. And, you know, a lot of our vaccines have peanut oil excipients. So it's not, you know, it's no mystery where the peanut allergies are coming from. But also, if there's something in the ambient in the environment at the time, like if there's a Timothy weed outbreak, that kid now is going to have a lifetime allergy to Timothy weed. That's why vaccinated children, this is at two studies by Callings and Mawson, have 30 times the rate of allergic rhinitis as unvaccinated children. 30 times. We're not even talking about the neurologicals. And I know that these are uncomfortable facts for a, a large sector of the American population because so many people have done this themselves or done this to them, their children, uh, don't want to believe in any way, shape, or form that uh, that they be involved in this. Basically, that they they could at that that they, they could be at fault. Just want to point that out. They're sick all the time. Do am I out of time or something? What? I'm sorry. You could have just told me. Oh, anyway, thank you. Um, so anyway, let, you know what? Let me talk about something else for just a couple of minutes, a, a subject I knew I was going to talk about. Somebody brought this up at dinner. I was going to talk about COVID and what happened there. And, you know, the, the, the reaction to COVID was this weird reaction where it was not a public health reaction. It was a militarized and monetized reaction. And it happened all over the world. Again, militarized and monetized reaction. It's not a normal reaction. Get, boom. Sign me up. Sign me up, Mr. Kennedy. I mean, again, he, he's di just direct right there. Says it better than I ever could. Militarized and monetized reaction. At once, all these liberal democracies suddenly pivoted and imposed these totalitarian controls, which were irrational, that were not scientifically valid, that, you know, had been discredited, et cetera, lockdowns. And they went after, of course, to keep us from complaining or talking about them or questioning them, they imposed censorship from day one. And, you know, they, the, uh, the, the founders, specifically Hamilton, Madison, Adams, said we put freedom of expression in the First Amendment because all the other amendments are dependent on it. Because if you give a government the right to, to silence their opponents, they now have a license for any atrocity. And they'll start getting rid of all the, the amendments. So what do they do? As soon as they could censor us, they went after the other part of the First Amendment, which is freedom of worship. They closed all the churches in the country for a year without any scientific citation, with no you know, regulatory process, no there's no. I've been suing government for 40 years for not doing public hearings, for not doing an environmental impact statement when they're going to you know, pass all the regulations. They, they got to do an environmental impact statement and show the costs and benefits, who's going to get hurt if to list all the scientific studies 
Hey, and by the way, you can do it in an emergency and still be doing the environmental impact, still do the democracy while you're, you know, locking people down if it's an emergency, but you can't stop the democracy. Then there's notice and comment rulemaking. So everybody gets to read it. They have to publish their proposed rule. They have to give people 60, 30, or 90 days to comment on it. They have to respond to all those comments. So if somebody, you know, if you're passing a, a mask mandate and I own a kayak company, and I say, if I make my clients wear masks, they're going to drown. You have to respond. The government has to respond. And they usually do it by saying, well, we're going to give you an exemption because you're outdoor, you're in the sun. We want you there getting healthy. Uh, but there was nothing like that. Not a bit. There was the denial of reality. The, the, the denial of natural immunity, right? The denial that COVID and the flu were going to be counted as the same thing, even though they were, and pneumonia. And really, the denial of, you know, regular treatments under the guise this was something new, and instead putting people on ventilators when uh, the ventilators were an 80-plus percent sometimes 90% insurance of death. I mean, again, just an insane response, but it was militarized and it was monetized, just like Mr. Kennedy's telling you. It was just everybody do it. And uh, there was no, no notice and comment rulemaking. And then they go after the part three of the First Amendment, which is freedom of assembly. I'm making us all, you know, social distance. And then they go after uh, the Fifth Amendment property rights. They close 3.3 million businesses with no due process, no just compensation. Just one guy who's been in there for 50 years saying, you know, masks don't work one week and two weeks later, everybody put one on. And it's just completely the definition of arbitrary and capricious. Not a single scientific citation ever for two years. And then they went after jury trials. Here's what the Seventh Amendment says. No American shall be denied the right of their of a, a trial before a jury of their peers in case their controversy is exceeding $25. Now, when you see this, you got to understand they're trying to strip you of your due process. That's why there's been so much talk of domestic terrorism and demonizing this group or that group. And I've always warned, uh, especially against the media and the pundits, left-wing domestic terror. I don't, don't use that term, man. Let them have a trial. Let them have their due process. They're a criminal for sure. But you, people throw around that terror word. They've been trained. Bad news brown. Value. That's it. There's no pandemic exception. There's, and by the way, the founders knew all about pandemics. There were two pandemics during the Revolutionary War. There was an epidemic that decimated the armies of Virginia with malaria. And then there was a smallpox epidemic that, that totally debilitated um, Benedict Arnold's army when he took Montreal. If it weren't for that epidemic, we would Canada would be part of the United States today because we took Montreal. But that because they didn't have the manpower because of the epidemic, they had to withdraw. And between the end of the revolution and the writing of the Constitution, 
there were at least two or three really serious epidemics every year, smallpox, yellow fever in all of our cities, cholera, that killed tens of thousands of people. So the founders knew all about epidemics, but they didn't put an exemption in the Constitution. So, And why would they? And why would they? Uh, um, again, this country's constitution is so important because it protects the small guy, the individual rights. It's not about the collective. And freedom of speech and the freedom to practice one's religion is at the basis of that and also lets you know that there is a higher authority than any man or woman on the planet. Okay? And that's important also. That's something that's been uh, denigrated and forgotten. Uh, and and they, you know, of course, they went after the Fourth Amendment uh, prohibitions against uh, warrantless searches and seizures. And we all have to, you know, give our medical information before we go into a bowling alley or a public building. Really, like they 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 got rid of every one of the first ten amendments except for uh, the Second Amendment. It's the only one that was left intact. And um, you know, and so I looked at this. And I said, how did this happen? Because it's not just happening here. It's happening all over the world. And that and the, the information in the last chapter of my book was to me the most shocking revelation. Because what I found was, you know, I saw this event 201. Here's where it gets juicy. And remember, we did a watch along with uh, everything but the very bare end of the uh, I, I, there was one more video to go, and for some reason, at the time, I just didn't want to finish it. And uh, I never did it, but I believe it was from mid-March, maybe early April, to mid-April that I did these watch-alongs. And um, they're still up today, unbelievably. Uh, so you, you can still find them. I'm not sure if one or two of them may have been taken down, but you can still watch Event 201. And it's just part of this larger network. And look, Kennedy lays down some hardcore truth right here as well. And raise your hand if you know what Event 201 was. Okay, for those of you who don't know, Event 201 was a pandemic simulation, a coronavirus pandemic simulation that took place in October of 2019. Nobody had ever heard of coronavirus till January. So that's four, three months later, in October, we now know that coronavirus was already circulating in September, so the month before, in Wuhan. But nobody knew about it. And yet they had a coronavirus pandemic simulation in New York City, hosted by Bill Gates and Avril Haines, the deputy, former deputy director of the CIA, who did all of the Guantanamo Bay cover-up. She is like the cover-up queen. And they do a simulation. And who else is there? George Gao, the head of Chinese CDC, so, who obviously knows the coronavirus is circulating. He is the world's coronavirus expert. He's also the head of the, of the CDC in China. And then they had all... So again, you know, no one else is telling you, and I've been telling you, I think I got it in November. He's talking about circulating in China in September. I've said September, October, November. 
This was already in the mix, and then they ran this drill. Again, no other candidate is telling you any of this. And he's going for the mainline Democratic nomination. I love it. I love it. My man. All of the social media platforms were there, the big insurance companies, Johnson & Johnson, the big pharma companies, and they meet for two days. And they have four seminars and each one is faking this you know coronavirus is spreading across the world and they simulate they don't say okay we vitamin d to everybody and we got to make sure everybody gets exercise and gets out of their house and gets healthy and you know builds their immune system and and you know there's none of that and zinc and you know all the things we got to figure out early treatments we got to use the computer the, the internet to connect all 15 million doctors frontline doctors around the world so that we know when they treat people what's working what's not and, and we're constantly upgrading the protocols that's what they should have been doing that's not what they're doing they were they were working on ways to use the coronavirus pandemic as a pretense for clamping down totalitarian controls globally and you know they talk about in some of these concentration camps and all of this stuff but here that the last simulation on the fourth day george gayo and avril haynes from the cia are talking they have a soliloquy about how do we clamp down to stop people from saying this came from a lab leak so they're saying that this is in october of 2019 and they say, well, we got to get the social media companies to censor them and deplatform them and all this. You can go on YouTube and watch this tonight. It's called Event 201, and this is the fourth section of it. Oh, and people knew about that, you know, who were looking at this like me. And uh, from almost the beginning, but then I started doing a deep dive when I was writing the book. And I found out that was not a one-off. And I describe in that book, I found about 20 of these that they had been doing since 2001. And I, I would encourage them to go really check out Earth 2100, because that's really the one based in global warming that they all took uh, part in as well, and it is pushing this same agenda. And they're all scripted by the CIA. And all of them include top level officials like James Wolsey, the deputy director of the CIA, uh, Taro Tool, all of them have senior CIA officials. Many of them have famous people who kind of give an imprimatur of legitimacy to what they're doing, like Madeleine Albright or Tom Daschle or, you know, Bill Gates and a lot of them, um, and Gro Brundtland from, uh, you know, from the WHO, people who are respected and all, and they, they end up drilling, each one of them is drilling the imposition of totalitarian controls. They're collectively, they have names like Dark Winter and Crimson uh, uh, Contagion and all these weird names, but collectively they're called Operation Lockstep. Operation Lockstep, the Rockefeller plan, something myself, uh, obviously Alex Jones, all the way back in the InfoWars days was covering. Because that's the plan, Stan. And they involved hundreds of thousands of people, public officials from little towns all over America, health officials from the state, police, firefighters, hospital systems, 
public utilities and uh, FBI, CIA, uh, U.S. Marshals in Canada, the United States, all over Europe, Australia, and China. We're all doing it together, drilling. Here's what we're going to do when a pandemic comes. And a lot of these people, you can see, are surprised about what they're doing. But they're probably looking around and saying, well, everybody else thinks this is okay. So I guess this is what we do when the pandemic comes. Again, Muppets. People going along to get along. Oh, this is a great idea. Just in lockstep, collectivist mentality. So they got, they drilled people in doing something that was clearly contrary to their values. But it got them all teed up to do it and do it all at once and say, this is what you do when there's a pandemic. The first thing you do is you end freedom of speech and you start gutting the Constitution. So, you know, I look back on um, in my new book, I, I talk about the history of the U.S. bioweapons program. And from the beginning, the CIA was running the bioweapons program. Why? Because we didn't have a bioweapons program after World War II. And the CIA's first operation was called Operation Paperclip. And it was an operation to get all the bioweapons and nuclear and chemical scientists out of Germany and Japan, where they had an extensive bioweapons program. The Japanese had a horrendous program where they were doing, they did live vivid sections on 3,000 people. I mean, again, what is it? Unit um, something 01. We cover it here. How, how could I not get behind this guy? Folks, I'm going to wrap it there. I've got double duty on the dentist today. I'm not looking forward to that. I got two appointments back to back. I know one of them is going to be a brutal cleaning. Wish me luck. Uh, I do want to thank everybody who has come over. I want to remind you, you can watch the rest of this without me over at the Hillsdale Video Library. I'd say share that link far and wide and tell everybody, listen, give this man an hour. Give This, this man's talking more sense and talking truth to power in a way we haven't seen in modern day uh, politics for some time. Uh, there are some good ones out there. But, you know, he's doing, a, he's doing a new book on the bioweapons program. He gets that we've been under psychological and biological attack on a global scale, period. So, once again, get ready, buckle up. There's more to come here on redvoicemedia.com. Thank you again. It is not about left or right. It is about right and wrong. I hope you enjoyed the show. We will see you all on the flip side.